We're continuing in our uh, sermon series, our summer sermon series on the book of Psalms. Last week we looked at Psalm 73 and how the psalmist um, struggled when he looked around and compared his life circumstances to, the, to other people that seemed to be prospering more than he was, even though in his eyes he considered them to be wicked and him to be a good, morally upstanding, religious person. And he learned that God is the source of his satisfaction. And uh, today we're going to continue with this series. Uh, we're going to look at a different psalm, Psalm 67. You can turn there in your Bibles if you have them, or you can use the blue Bible in front of your chairs. Psalm 67 is on page 465 in those Bibles. But it, it kind of builds on what we looked at last week, where God is the source of our satisfaction. And now uh, we're going to see how when he is the point, um, come, uh, what comes along with that is his blessings in our lives. And so this complements what we looked at last week. This is the word of God. Listen as I read Psalm 67. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us so that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you rule the peoples with equity and guide the nations of the earth. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. The land yields its harvest. God, our God, blesses us. May God bless us still so that all the ends of the earth will fear him. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you bless us. Lord, we thank you that we don't have to earn that blessing. Truth be told, Father, we, we deserve something else, but you have been gracious to us. Thank you ultimately, Lord, that these promises point forward to one who would come, who deserved blessing, and died on a cross in our place so that uh, our penalty is taken care of. All of our obstacles are removed, and you are free to shower us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We give you thanks. And so, Father, as children dearly loved, blessed by you, help us to be attentive to your word this morning. Give us ears to hear. Lord, give us hearts to receive. Give us hands and feet and mouths to respond, to live for your glory and to live for the good of others. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, you may remember from your intro to psychology class, perhaps you got this in high school or college, uh, about Abraham Maslow. Maslow's famous, the American psychologist, he's famous for this theory of the hierarchy of needs. Do you remember this? Uh, he taught that people are motivated by unsatisfied needs that they have and that certain lower needs such as food or shelter or water or sleep, uh, these kinds of things need to be satisfied before higher needs can be satisfied. Now, uh, we moved into our house at the beginning of June, and uh, for various reasons, long story short, we didn't have internet for a week. And I, I think you can imagine that we found a foundational need that Maslow may not have anticipated, right? The need for Wi-Fi... I mean, it certainly seemed like a foundational need to us. Well, whether or not it is, and 
whether or not Maslow's hierarchy is actually, it actually holds water that you have to satisfy these lower needs before you can get to higher needs, I think everyone would acknowledge that what he identifies as the, the top of the pyramid, this ultimate need that we have for, for self-actualization, uh, resonates with us. We all desire to become increasingly all that we can be, uh, to, to experience meaning, to experience purpose, to experience significance in life. That's, that's what he's talking about. One of the things Maslow said, he said, without exception, I found that every person who was sincerely happy, radiantly alive, was living for a purpose or a cause beyond himself. Again, whether or not Maslow's theory uh, holds up in all situations, I think this desire for meaning and purpose, something bigger than us to give our lives to, uh, rings true. And Psalm 67 holds out for us the greatest purpose in life that you could possibly hope for, an eternally significant purpose. It's a song, like all the Psalms are. It's a hymn that was sung in worship. And, and this song is a prayer that expresses the longing of the heart of a person who's captivated by two centrally important passages of the Bible from the Old Testament. These are two passages of Scripture that, that really shaped what it meant to be the people of God. It begins in verse 1 with this reflection from Numbers chapter 6. Perhaps you recognized that connection as you heard me read Psalm 67. This is, this is the benediction or the blessing that Aaron and the priests were charged to give over the people in worship. And then after verse 1, Psalm 67 pauses. There's this Hebrew word that's not included in the New International Version. If you're reading from another translation of the Bible, you might see it there. It's the Hebrew word selah. Right? We're, we're not exactly sure what this means, but best we can tell, it probably refers to a musical interlude or a pause. It gives time for the people in worship or the, the readers of this psalm, the psalmist himself perhaps as he's composing this psalm, to just stop and celebrate what has been expressed or to reflect on it in some way. A time uh, for reflection and during that time of reflection, the psalmist's mind moves from this ironic benediction in Numbers chapter 6 to another great passage of Scripture, the promise to Abraham given in Genesis 12, where it teaches us that God's people were blessed to be a blessing ultimately for all the nations. It's as if the psalmist was standing in public worship after hearing this great blessing pronounced over him and the other people. And while that blessing is lingering in his mind, it begins to germinate and grow and spread out in, in other directions, exploring broader possibilities. You see, in the kingdom of God, God's people find their joy increased by being included in a purpose and a cause that certainly includes us, but carries us into something bigger than us. And so this text expresses the heart of a person who shares God's heart and prays that the longing of God's heart would become a reality around the world. God's people are blessed to be a blessing to the nations. 
as we unpack this psalm, I want to start in the middle and then, and then work back to the outside. And, and there's a reason for this. There are three sections to this psalm, the short psalm. Uh, the first and the third sections mirror one another, mirror one another, right? They, they're both expressions of a prayer of blessing on Israel for the nations. And in between, you have section two, the joyful worship of God as king over all. And, and so the way this, this psalm is structured, just literarily, sections one and three serve to funnel our attention towards the heart of the psalm. It's, it's, it's flowing into and flowing out of this center, this heart of prayer, which is all about enjoying God's reign, enjoying God's reign. So let's start there. This is underscored even more when we realize that that middle section, section two, is itself broken in uh, to a refrain in verse three and five that's repeated word for word. It's, verse three is repeated word for word in verse five. May the peoples praise you, God. May all the peoples praise you. It's a prayer. A prayer that God would be worshipped, not just among their own people, not just among Israel, but among all the peoples. And in between is this, this refrain is the reason for the praise. Verse 4, may the nations be glad and sing for joy. For, that's the reason, right? For, you rule the peoples with equity and you guide the nations of the earth. Now, how many of you are, are reading from a, a translation other than the New International Version? Anyone? Uh, if you are, you may notice that it translates the middle of that verse a little bit differently. Uh, instead of saying, for you rule the people with equity, a number of translations will read, for you judge the peoples with equity. If you have a different translation, you might see that. And, and that's an appropriate translation as well. And so, you know, in our mind, rule and judge is not quite the same thing. So which is it? What does the psalmist have in mind here? Well, realize in, in America, in our country, we separate the government into three branches, right? Executive and what? Legislative and judicial. Good, you're still awake. Executive, legislative, and judicial, right? In the psalmist day, that didn't happen. There was one branch of government. What was it? The king, right? The king. He was judge. He was ruler, right? He made law, the king's word. Um, because word in the second line is parallel to, to the word guide in the third line, it seems best to understand the psalmist's point in terms of God's overall rule, his, his guidance, his, his direction that he's giving the world as its divine king. In other words, the psalmist is celebrating how God reigns, right? how he rules. He rules with equity. equity. He's fair. He's just. He sets to right those things that are out of order. When God's kingdom comes on earth as it is in heaven, everything will be perfect. Everything will be in its proper place. The judge of the earth will do right. And that's what we all want, isn't it? I mean, if you think about it, to live in a world that's fair, where everything is in harmony, where you don't have to worry about your kids playing outside of your sight, where there's no violence or injustice, the strong don't take advantage of the weak, 
where this perfect, glorious, benevolent reign includes all people, right, where, where there's world peace. And when your mind is captivated by this vision of God's glory and this vision of what his kingdom will do when it comes in all its fullness, you can't help but celebrate with the psalmist the fact that God reigns. Amen? And that's what the, the, the first and third sections are getting at. So now having looked at that center section, let's back out now to the outside of this poem. Verses 1 and 6 where we see the effect of God's reign. And, and the effect of God's reign is blessing. As I mentioned earlier, verse 1 is a direct reference to that famous benediction found in Numbers 6, verses 22 to 26. I want to I look at that in a little bit more detail since, since the psalmist is quoting from it directly and alluding to the whole benediction by doing so. The full text of the blessing goes like this. Numbers 6, starting in verse 22. The Lord said to Moses... Tell Aaron and his sons, this is how you're to bless the Israelites. They say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. And so this benediction begins with a declaration of God's intention to bless his people. Now, I don't know about you, but some words in the Christian vocabulary tend to be overused and maybe lose some of their meaning. You know, when we use the word bless you, what comes to mind? A sneeze. Yeah, nice. Yeah, so it's like gazuntite. Uh, or just kind of a, you know, I hope it goes well with you. Um, good luck. But, but for the Israelites in the Old Testament, this word was infinitely more significant than that. This word represents one of the themes that dominates the story of the Bible from creation to recreation. You see, one Old Testament scholar, a Hebrew scholar, said blessing represents, this is what he says, well-being in all of life. It means that everything in all areas of your life is going well. Your family is close and dead and and, and happy. You have, a, you have a close relationship with God. You're experiencing prosperity because of God's blessing. You have good food, good health, good relationships, safety and security, things like this, right? Things that we, we long for when the world is right. And that's what the parallel is getting at in verse 6, when it equates God's blessing with good harvests. It's part of what it means be blessed by God. This blessing comes as a result of being under God's reign. Again, it's what happens when his kingdom comes on earth as it is in heaven. Last week we looked at Psalm 73 where the psalmist didn't feel like he was experiencing this stuff and he was bitter because others were. But he ultimately realized that God is what this is all about. And when viewed in the light of eternity, this is our hope. All of these blessings from God, it says, are gracious. They're gifts. We don't earn any of them. They're not payment for services rendered to God. They're expressions, friends, of God's sheer delight to bless his people. And the ultimate form of blessing is captured by this phrase, the Lord make his face shine on you. That's what we were alluding to last week in Psalm 73. The opposite 
of a shining face, just to, to understand this, the opposite of a shining face is to hide your face. It's to turn away. It's to be so fed up with someone, you don't even want to look at them anymore. Right? You ever felt that? For God's face to shine upon you indicates his delight in you. It's evidence that he takes pleasure in being in a relationship with you. I I think that, uh, uh, I've got a short video clip I want to show you. It's a news story. I think it, it, it communicates what this shining face idea is about much more viscerally than any words I can put on it. So this is a brief news clipping of a father who has returned from his, um, his uh, a tour of duty in Afghanistan, and he comes back to surprise his daughter who's throwing out the first pitch at a Tampa Bay's Rays game. So um, it's a great picture of what this shining face looks like. Take a look. Colonel Will Adams and his daughter Elena and his wife Dana. Here's the setup. The Lieutenant Colonel was in Afghanistan for the last year, so he did a message on the video board. Then he comes out in catcher's gear, unbeknownst to his daughter, Elena. You can see that smile underneath the mask. So Elena, who thought she was out here to throw out the first pitch for USO, throws it to the mask catcher right down the middle. Nice toss there. And then the moment. That is, um, that's amazing. That is amazing. That is amazing, isn't it? I mean, I get choked up every time I see that clip. I've seen it a number of times. Uh, Elizabeth's crying. That's good. Yeah. It's a shining face, right? When, when you imagine God thinking of you, when you imagine God thinking of you, what expression is on his face? If you're honest with yourself, maybe you think of the ways that you've blown it. You haven't met his expectations. You may may be tempted to think he turns his face away, or he kind of wrinkles his face, or he's like, eh. Friends, when God looks at his people, those who have faith in Christ, his face shines. Why? Why? Because he turned his face away from someone else on the cross. His only dearly loved son, God freely gave him up for us all. Because God so loved the world that he gave him so that we could know God, so that we could be brought into that relationship with God, so that God could express not his judgment, but his delight as a father for his children. The whole blessing finds its culmination in this final word of verse 26. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. The word for peace here is the, is the word, the Hebrew word shalom. Again, it's like the word blessing. It's one of the most theologically rich words in the Bible. It refers to everything in its proper relationship with everything else. Shalom is about wholeness and harmony and fulfillment. It's what it's like to have a perfect relationship with God, to have a perfect relationship with all the people in your life, to have a perfect relationship with the creation around you. 
Shalom may be the single best word to describe the effect of God's kingdom reign. It's salvation in its ultimate cosmic sense. Why should the nations be glad and sing for joy? Because of the glory of God and the effect his reign has on, in the lives of his people and his world. This is the hope that God holds out for all of his people. It's what the psalmist was praying for. It's what the unfolding story of the Bible is all about. It's what Jesus came to fulfill. Jesus came the first time to save us from our sin, to make us citizens of God's kingdom, to, to reunite us to God as his children. Through faith in Christ, we experience those things now in part, right? We have the down payment of those things in the Holy Spirit. When Jesus comes again, we'll experience blessing and shalom in all of its fullness, unrestrained, superabundant. And the knowledge of his blessing now and to come leads us to joyfully praise him as the king who reigns over all. But the psalmist doesn't just focus on his own blessing. The psalmist understands just how glorious God is. And he recognized as blessed as we are, as delighted God is in us, it's too small a thing. It's too small a thing for salvation to be limited to just us in this room. God and his salvation is too good not to share. And so in verses 2 and 7, the psalmist prays that God would bless his people in such a way that God, that would just overflow, right? God would be known for his gracious reign by all peoples. It's the scope of his vision and of his heart. And the fact is, that's the thrust of the whole psalm. The whole psalm is a prayer for the Gentile nations to be glad and to sing for joy along with Israel because of God's glorious reign. And as always is the case in Scripture, there's a direct link between our blessing and God's mission. The main point of the psalm is the link between verse 1 and 2. May God be gracious to us and bless us may he, may, and make his face shine on us so that... I love that phrase in Scripture, right? So that, it tells you why, the purpose, the, the intended effect of this. So that your ways, God, may be known on the earth, your salvation among all nations. So that. God's plan is for his blessing to so fill us and overflow from us that it spills out on everyone else around us. You ever wonder why you don't just go to heaven when you become a Christian. God has a mission to his world, and God has a church for his mission. That's why we're here. It's the main reason why we're here. The psalmist, like God himself, will not be satisfied, will not be satisfied until people from every tribe, tongue, and nation experience the blessed reign of God together with him. And so verse 2 alludes to that charter 
verse, that charter passage in the Old Testament of what it means to be the people of God. When God calls Abraham in Genesis 12, verses 2 and 3, God promises to bless Abraham, but his intent, you see, was always to bless all the peoples of the earth through them. Verse 2, starting in Genesis 12, God says to Abraham, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and I will make your name great Here's the word again, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This theme runs through the whole Bible. Of course, it ultimately points to Christ in whom all the peoples are blessed, but that, that blessing extends out through his people, you see. In Isaiah 49, verse 6, for example, God ultimately is speaking about Jesus and what he'll do as the Messiah. And he says this to the servant, it's too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles. That purpose, my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. It's too small a thing for God's kingdom blessing to be restricted to us. God blesses you and me. God blesses us to be a channel of blessing to all the peoples of the earth. God wants you to share his heart and his vision for ministry. He wants you to be longing and praying, and planning, and sacrificing, and working to reach the nations for Christ. Starting with the people closest to you, and and right here in our backyard, but literally extending to the uttermost parts of the world, especially to those who might be termed unreached people groups, right, who have no access to the gospel. No access, unless a Christian from another country crosses those cultural barriers to share it with them. John Piper said it like this. He said, if God wants his goods to get to the nations, it's gospel, then he'll fill the truck that's driving toward the nations. I like that imagery. He'll bless the church that's pouring itself out for unreached peoples of the world. And unless we think this is a backdoor to legalism, Piper goes on to explain This blessing is not payment for service rendered. It's power and joy for a mission to accomplish. When we move toward the unreached peoples, Piper says, we're not earning God's blessings. Get this imagery. We're not earning God's blessings. We are leaping into a river of blessing that's already flowing to the nations. If we put it in terms of Maslow's Maslow's hierarchy of needs, by blessing us, God is taking care of us. Uh, God puts us in a position to be able to have our highest needs met, salvation, meaning, purpose, living for a cause beyond ourselves, devoting ourselves to a, a, a mission that will have ripple effects throughout all eternity. Do you want your life to, to have meaning? Identify with Christ and join him in what he wants to do in the world. Living for God's glory and mission is why the church exists. It's why you exist. To do anything less is to impoverish yourself spiritually. It's to miss out on all that God would have for you. 
God blesses you ultimately for that blessing to reverberate around the world. Is that central to your understanding of your faith? Are you consistently praying for lost people around the world, here in your own backyard, missionaries who are sent to them, the people that those missionaries are sent to reach? That's what the psalmist is doing in Psalm 67. He takes a promise from God, a promise from God, and he turns it into a prayer to God. That's what we're supposed to do with the promises of God. That's what it looks like to pray according to his will. Psalm 67 gives us a picture of the heart of a disciple who loves God and loves to see the name of God honored. It gives us a picture of a disciple who knows God has made mind-blowingly gracious to him, and so he yearns to share God's heart for others to know that grace too. As we work together here at GRC, as we seek to disciple one another and to make new disciples, uh, I long to see us all work towards integrating these things, our own spiritual life, right, our community life together, and, and our calling into the mission of God. That these wouldn't be three kind of separate buckets to pick and choose how we're going to be involved in the life of the church, but this would characterize everything we do as a church. The language that we use here at GRC is up, in, and out, right? Uh, we want to make disciples who see the world in terms of up, in, and out, growing closer to God, growing closer to one another, engaging those that don't know him. We want to make disciples who live lifestyles marked, lifestyles marked by up, in, and out, who work together to create a culture where up, in, and out are embedded in everything we do together as a church so that we're experiencing God's blessing ourselves while we're living to see God glorified by others being blessed along with us here and around the world. And the fuel, the motivation, the power source to live that way is a heart of worship that celebrates the glory of God that celebrates what he has already done for us in Christ, what he will do for us in Christ, a heart that beats for all the peoples of the world to praise God along with us, the one who is worthy of all worship because he rules the nations justly. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that while we were still your enemies, Christ died for us. We thank you that you demonstrate your love for us in this, that even while we were your enemies, Christ died for us. Father, thank you that we don't earn your blessing. Thank you that there's nothing we have to do to, to prove ourselves to you because you have proven yourself to us. You are faithful. You are gracious. You are our loving Heavenly Father. You're working all things together for our good. You've blessed us in every spirit, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You've given us the Holy Spirit as a down payment of our inheritance to come in full. And you've invited us in this mission that you have to see other people experience you that way too. And so, Lord, work in our lives. We pray your blessing on us but we pray your blessing would overflow from us 
that you would work in us and through us to be a blessing to others, that others would know the love of Christ for them, that they would see it demonstrated in our acts of mercy and justice, that they would understand it as we explain the gospel in word. Lord, use us to magnify your praise as more people join your family. In Jesus' name, amen.